they're bad, they're boys, and occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Hello, Jody Raceford. Hello, David Hellard. Welcome to Bad Boy Running. On well, but before we say how glorious today is, um, firstly, coming up is one of our best ever guests. Just a great person, really interesting, and something goes down mid-episode that. Maybe a first in podcast history. <laughs> first in podcast history, and also incredibly relevant to some of the things we might be talking about in this intro as well. <laughs> indeed, not, indeed. We're not going to connect them. You can make the connections yourself, but you, as I touch my nose and point at you, listener, you know what I'm talking about. 100%. And we haven't even mentioned who it is. It's the amazing David Brown, who is the, the fastest blind man on earth. And he's pretty damn quick. Um, but, oh, my word, the, the results are in. Whoa! <laughs> what a vote. It took How so exciting. long. Oh. Took so, I mean, it, in some ways, it's what we expected. I mean, four years of waiting for a result like that. Four <laughs> long, painful, painful years of abuse. Of, of bullying, of, of all these awful things that happened to finally get the result that we were looking for. And especially that I was surprised quite how, how many people were against, against the winners as well. Oh my God, I, I, apparently it was supposed to be close. I mean, the predictions were all wrong. The predictions were all completely wrong. No one expected that to happen. No one expected it, but it, it scraped over, scraped over the line. Yeah, and I mean, my worry is they're going to, you know, they're old. So going to let it down. A, oh, a grey-haired white person is <laughs> never a good basis for taking forward a victory on anything. But do balance, as you may have known, you may know by now, because of your votes, We've won Podcast of the Year Podcast at the Running Awards! <laughs> Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> Say what? Say what? what? Now, obviously, what? we don't care about votes, and we don't care about we don't care about winning things. But now that we have, we can admit that we've really cared. We've cared loads <laughs> this whole time, and now that they finally allowed a podcast category, we've already gone and bloody won it. <laughs> well, we like. I like to think of that as. The reason we haven't won it before is because, oddly, a podcast in the blogging category didn't do, wouldn't do particularly well. True, true. But, and, uh, but you know, that's it. We've, I like to think we've carved the category and we've owned the category. We're going to people are going to look past on, look back on this week for years to come and say, "Wow, what, momentous. what a momentous time it is to be alive." It, I imagine, you know, you can get those books that have like um, a history of your life and it goes back and he has got newspaper clippings from like if you're like I'm 41 this year and have newspaper clippings all the way from 1978 this will be on on the page for this you know this week this will be the news that they're talking about yeah 100% and as, a, and as an aside 
I've heard um, our entertaining friend from across the pond may be out of a job. Who? Um, I don't know. Donald? Donald. Oh, Donald. Donald Trump. Yes, yes. So I've I've been refreshing my phone. I've heard that's fake news. But I've been refreshing my phone so many times this last seven days, I'd say. I've never read the news or listen to the news so much it's been amazing i don't i i I don't like cnn at all and i've been watching more cnn i've been watching i've been watching i've been flicking between different news sources because they made you do that because they all tally they all predict things at different times so i'd be flicking between telegraph fox news cnn um bbc guardian and then doing all of that in a in various things bbc absolute pussies wouldn't wouldn't predict anything. <laughs> wouldn't call anything. Like, what is the point? What is the point of watching the BBC? Absolutely pathetic. The interesting thing is when Fox called a bunch of stuff for Biden really early on, and you thought, oh, Murdoch's turned against him. Yeah, that is the big news. That is a big day when the New York Post as well switched. You know, like, oh, they're actually, and now, well, not only that, but Ivanka's saying he needs to, um, he needs to accept the result. And they found a cure for COVID. I mean, what a week for this world. What a week. In that order. <laughs> bang, bang, bang. <laughs> we were the little domino that started the good news flowing. It was really, it was strange because when the result came through about BBR winning um, running podcast of the year, we got the phone call from Biden. From President-elect <laughs> Biden. Unfortunately, we missed it because we were too busy talking. But we got the call through. He, he left a voicemail. It was, yeah, it was. It was strange. I, even though it's just his voice, I could tell he was wearing shades. <laughs> what? Have you been watching any of the SNL stuff with Jim Carrey as Biden? No. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I mean, ev- everything out there at the moment is amazing because the stories are so good. Did you see the um, press conference at Four Seasons Landscaping? No. Well, you know, on the day after the election, um, Donald Trump called, said, oh, there's a press conference. There's a press conference in um, uh, uh, Philadelphia. Is it Philadelphia or, or well, somewhere in Pennsylvania? Philadelphia or Pittsburgh? I can't remember which one. But there's a, a press conference at Philadelphia and it's at the Four Seasons. Everyone's going, oh, there's a thing with the lawyers at the Four Seasons Hotel. And he had to delete that and go, no, 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 no. Four Seasons Landscaping. And it's some, <laughs> <laughs> some landscaping company on the edge of the city in the middle of nowhere with a porn bookshop next to it. And Rudy Giuliani. He just happened to be passing by. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani, on a separate note, Rudy Giuliani, so he was he was hosting this thing and of course he was just doing all the all the all the bollocks about, oh, you know, the media don't call the uh, you know the the election. Um, just coming up with all this stuff. You know, remember when Rudy Giuliani was a credible pol- politician? Like mm. he's still coming up with stuff. <laughs> Pretty much nearly every uh, mainstream news outlet um, referred to Giuliani as star of Borat 2. <laughs> Rather than former New York mayor, it's it's going to define him forever. He just can't escape that now. Yeah, and I the the good thing is, you know that because previously Trump was amazing for entertainment 
and for news and for just car crash headlines. And the good thing is now he could continue to be that, but without him also destroying the world. Yeah. So actually, it's great because you, you get all of the entertainment, but he's probably more entertaining as a petulant, um, unhinged um, child who no longer has any power. He's going to be so much worse. See, I don't know. What, see, the thing is, I, I, you know what? We're recording this, what, a week after, and he, he still hasn't conceded. So <laughs> he might not concede when this has got out. But the thing is, you know, um, uh, presidents are only allowed to serve two terms. I don't know if that means two consecutive terms, because if you were sensible and you were him, you'd concede and then become your candidate for 2024, because he still has enough of a base. Because yeah, and, and he's, he is planning to, to do that, from what I've heard. Or, or him or, or Don Jr. Could you imagine Don Jr.? You've got I mean, to give him, give him 20 more years, then he'll be there. And in fact, Ivanka's probably going to stand at some point, you'd imagine. They're all going to stand. It's going to be, the Trumps are going to be like the Bushes, but with any, without, and I'm, I, it, I can't believe I'm saying this, without any of the talent or ability without the intelligence <laughs> oh my god yeah remember when bush came in everyone was like this is the worst thing ever and now we look back on those bush years of, of like you know uh oh, w i'm talking about here of wasn't that stable wasn't it just the most stable uh you know sensible internationally forward way of thinking i just it's, it's insane isn't it have you also seen other news of um, rulings coming out? Christian Coleman's been banned. Christian Coleman's been banned. Yeah, they, well, he, he missed three tests in a year. And what a surprise. It's strange because if you, if you read the articles and, and people's opinion who, who are actually involved, it does sound like he just was that irresponsible with missing tests so he managed to show two receipts from when he went sh christmas shopping at the time that the tester was at his house where he was meant to be and you've i mean he's gonna have to, he's gonna kick himself and i think if you're a 100 meter runner as well maybe not so much in other sports but people are already assuming that you're probably a cheat and you're probably taking banned drugs so i'd imagine you'd be extra vigilant but no he, like, it feels as though, this feels like deja vu. It feels like we say this every single time someone gets done. Like, they just seem to be very, very lax about it. Is there something that we're missing? Well, I think the a lot of the other people who have been banned or the, who have, um, for example, I won't say their name because I'm going to say something that is definitely uh, litigious. But <laughs> a, um... It's got to be really litigious if you acknowledge <laughs> litigious. But a shorter distance runner who won gold and who a female who is still not banned, who's had technical technicalities and, and got away with it. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that she's a drugs cheat. And that is why she intentionally has avoided these tests. There's a certain individual who I believe may be on British television later um, who's... <laughs> who's not answered his doorbell. And I think Christian Coleman is is maybe the exception to the rule where he just has been that, I don't know if it's naive, I don't think it's just careless, but it, it looks as if he is just that reckless with his own career. And, you know, he'll miss the Olympics. 
he won't be gone for too for for too long. But at the same point, come on, man, come on. But talking about someone who has been banned to someone who probably should be banned. <laughs> <laughs> Mo Farah's and I'm a celebrity. He should be banned from advertising and whoring himself out. That's what you mean, isn't it? Wow. I mean, imagine how many ads he's going to pick up off the back of this. But you've, you've got to wonder why. Is, is he laid on cash still? I, what, I, what I like about it is the fact that he is kind he's he's got to the stage that Burt Reynolds got to. Um, very, very late in his career, when Burt Reynolds ended up doing Specsavers ads and all sorts of stuff. This, you know, this this great actor um, brought low by by. Or financial... De Niro doing an advert for what the Niro car. <laughs> I mean, that is that is dreadful. That ah, oh, just breaks my heart every time. So, if any listener who isn't from the UK, especially if you're from America, just be aware. The, a huge number of your incredibly esteemed great actors come over and put out the biggest pile of garbage adverts in the UK. I imagine it's the same in places like Japan and Australia as well. Kevin Bacon, man, I, he, he does good adverts, actually. I'll tell you what, Kevin Bacon owns those EE ads. They, I, yeah. I, I, quite, I quite enjoy watching them now. It, but Robert it, it, De Niro, dressed as a hipster, walking on set as a teenage hipster saying... You said something about the fashionable De Niro, and they're like, "No, not De Niro, De Niro." That is the joke, and <laughs> uh, I, I think he should have to give his Oscar. Has he got an Oscar? He must he? No, but he has. He's been. In, he has. He has well-known financial problems, though, doesn't he? That's the thing. Yeah, Madoff has a lot to answer for, doesn't he? He has. He has like well-known financial problems. But yeah, I, you've got to admit, like Mo's ability to you know get about, as it were. Uh, going from um, the, uh, the Freeport of Djibouti to I'm a Celebrity. He must be, is he going to be the best paid one on there? Surely he is. It, it probably turns, he's going to be, he'll be paid an absolute fortune to or be honest. Unless he's got the worst manager or agent on the planet and he's hardly getting anything for any of these things he's doing, which is why he needs to do so many of them. But for, from what I understand on I'm a Celebrity, you need to eat stuff that most people won't eat. And you, you actually need to be quite um, coordinated. And we know that Mo is insanely coordinated. He's the only person ever in television history to finish the cube. Um, and he did it with huge numbers of lives left. And I imagine he, he's got to be hungry, right? He's got to be starving because he's so thin. He'll probably just chow down on kangaroo notices all day, just be having a great time. I think he's got a good chance but of winning it. What happens? What happens at the end of the challenge when they sound a bell? Oh, that's a good point. That's going to be, he won't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. goes, where have you gone? Where's he, where's, where's he hiding? What? <laughs> he always comes up 61 minutes later. He always returns. Don't know why, but, um, <laughs> So I'm, I'm actually quite looking forward to that. I've never watched I'm a Celebrity properly. And I will for that because I think we'll probably get to know more about Mo than we have the whole, his whole life until now. I, do you know what? I've never really seen Mo interacting with um, people that... Those things are all really interesting to see, like, athletes and stuff interacting with people that aren't athletes because that's mm. the only time you ever see them do it. And you realise that most athletes dull as anything and don't have anything about them because they, they, and, and they it, it, why should they they've been focused on winning gold and that's all they've done 
And, you know, for, to expect them to all of us have, have all these other interests and be these Renaissance people who, you know, can talk about things all that, you know, all over the place and are suddenly very interesting is, is a very mm. difficult thing to, to expect. But, you know, some people really sort of like come out and show themselves to be really interesting sports people. Um, but we don't really know much about Mo at all. We don't, you know, we've never really seen him relax. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's a runner as opposed to team sports. The people who I typically think of being charismatic in sports have come from team sports. It's quite rare to get someone, especially running, which is so solo. And, and oh, it's friend, Freddie Flintoff. <laughs> my best friend, Freddie. But, but it's up to you under a bus first, <laughs> But um, talking about gold, have you seen Brewdog's latest initiative? Brewdog, they've kicked into overdrive uh, during these lockdowns and stuff. I've seen the, the uh, hookup with, um, was it Aldi? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The Aldi, Aldi IPA thing, which I thought, which they, they had a little battle against each other, and then they came up with that partnership, which I thought was just brilliant. Yeah. What, what, what's, the, what's this new thing that they're doing? So, Brewdog have said, in a Willy Wonka-style ripoff, that they will be putting, I think it's 10 or 12 golden cans in their multi-packs for people to win. I'm not 100% sure what the prize is, but I think it'll be... Keep a... the brew... They take you to the Brewdog factory in Scotland and you get to keep it. You get to... Well, that's the thing. Um, if you think about Willy Wonka, that is such a great film because of partly the contrast of all of the people that win. And I'm just trying to think, who are those 12 people going to be who win... And then end up, is it going to be alcoholics? Is it going to be people from broken backgrounds? Hipsters. Um, There'll be a hipster, an alcoholic. Um, oh, let's think what else. And also, uh, how are they going to die in Brewdog Towers? Horrifically. In the- <laughs> yeah. Like, they're what's going to happen to them when they're all walking around? <laughs> they're going to walk in and they're like... Um, the the guy in charge of Brewdog, where his name, his face is, he'll he'll obviously do is he'll he'll come out drunkard drunkenly outside the front, <laughs> he'll he'll fall over into his role, hurt himself, and then they'll go into a room where it's just a big vat of beer, and they all dive and in and drown. Of, and will there be umpalumpers or what would or the umpalumpers be? I think this is going to be an incredible film. <laughs> but, if if they haven't thought how this ends then this is going to be, they, they are going to be wasting a horrific opportunity. What they need to do, it needs to be like um, uh, Charlie and the Fox Chocolate Factory, though, where 12 of them are found and the last one is found to be a fraud. Normally some South American person who has, you know, uh, who hasn't been seen, but it's found to be a fraud. And then some Wait, lonely What's this about child... South American people? Well, no, they, in, the, in the film, in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, there was like this dodgy, like drugs, South American drugs lord type thing. He was supposed to have found the final golden ticket, and of course, it turns out it was a fake. Oh yes, in, okay. So okay. in real life, they, uh, you know, some poor child, um, you know, will be standing outside looking longingly into an off license <laughs> and thinking, oh, <laughs> I wish I had the, I could buy just one more pack of uh, of uh, Tangerine Dream or whatever it is. And uh, suddenly finds, uh, I don't know, how much is a pack? Five quid? Five I love quid? the idea as well, you know, 
this poor child, he's, he saves up his money so he can buy his granddad a pack of, a pack of brew dog for his birthday. They're going to have the burping room for sure. Imagine, That's every room, imagine right? If, imagine, imagine, the thing is, though, it's uh, <laughs> brew dog needs to, you know, you know um, when um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the remake came out, um, I think it was a Warner Brothers, Brothers film. Yeah, Johnny Depp. They, 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 their merchandise went insane. They did make because they actually released the, uh, the Wonka chocolates and everything else like that. And they did such an amazing job. Like they released these Wonka chocolates, and they were called Nutty Surprise. And you'd eat them, and the surprise was there were no nuts in them. That, <laughs> that, <laughs> that. I mean, for, for for a big corporation to do something as bold as that is pretty impressive. Um, but they should do something like that. So, like, you, you'll, you'll get cans of something that literally are just water or just carbonated water or that alcohol-free stuff should, like, literally be like Bucky. And, I mean, that's, that's the rumour, though, that this might be a whole hoax as well. It's just a marketing ploy by BrewDog. But I think what? it's such a what? good idea. BrewDog in marketing ploy? No way. That's not form for them. Yeah, but I, I just love it. I just love the whole concept of it, and if it is just them getting some headlines, fair play. Well done, well done. But we said we were going to have a short intro because this episode was so long. Um, and it was so long just because David was such an incredible guest and he had so much to say. And um, I have got no good segue, but we don't need one because, wow, David's going to blow your socks off. Take it away, Nick. So, do badders, we've got an absolute treat for you today. We've got our very first um, gold winner, Paralympic gold winner. He is the fastest blind man on earth, which is just incredible. So, welcome onto the podcast. A somewhat drowsy because he's only just woken up, but we'll forgive him. Um, David Brown. <laughs> hey. How you doing, David? <laughs> I'm doing good. What time does a an elite athlete like yourself normally rise then? Uh, so usually it always varies. Um, this year training actually will be kind of different. Um, our training usually started at nine in the morning, so I'll usually try to get up around you eight thirty, depending, or even eight o'clock. You know, but <sighs> and and eight thirty wake up for nine o'clock training feel sounds very, <laughs> sounds very relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, you just roll out of bed, throw your clothes on, you know, grab your bag and just, just go down to, to the track. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> convenient. <laughs> and has, has lockdown, because like, do you, well, so many questions to ask, but do you typically yeah. train with your partner or? Yeah, my guide runner. Yeah, I usually train with him. And um, since lockdown happened, things have been changed. Of course, because, you know, social distancing. Um, but, hey, uh, got to do what you got to do. So we're making it happen and we're making it work either way. So um, where's a good place to start? Should we, do you want to go back to the beginning with, you know, how you uh, childhood through to finding running and losing your sight, things along those lines? Okay. So, yeah, a little background about myself. Um, 15 months old, came down with a disease called Kawasaki's, born in Kansas City, Missouri. And my birthday is coming up, random fact. And <laughs> so uh, when I was three years old, I had a 
surgery for my left eye caused it to shrink into its eye socket. And um, when I was six years old, my vision in my right eye, due to all the surgeries that I was having, caused it to, you know, the vision start decreasing in that eye. And so I went from having, you know, good 20-20 vision in my right eye to pretty much only light perception. And that happened over a span of seven years. So, you know, just gradual sight loss, you know, at the age of seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, you know what I'm saying, all the way up until 13. So just imagine that, you know, that was pretty hard to, to cope with. But in the midst of that, I did get introduced to running. I kind of just stumbled into it um, when I was six. And how that happened was I was playing basketball, started getting slapped in the face with the ball. No, don't understand why. And so from there, I was like, you know what? I got to figure out how to be active somehow. So I was in a race for five and six-year-olds at this event, the Trolley Run in Kansas City, Missouri, sponsored by my preschool at that time, uh, Children's Center for Visually Impaired, CCBI for short. And they were having a five and six year old race. I got second in that race. You know, I tell everybody I oh, I slipped in mud because it was rainy that day. You know, so <laughs> that's the only reason why I got second. <laughs> 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 but I found out, oh, hey, I got some speed here. You know, so let's see what we can do with this. You know, I took it to the playground with my friends, and I was racing against them, and I was beating a lot of them and so I just continued to do that throughout the years and of course used a little bit of sight that I had in order to continue to play kickball and stuff like that but I was getting faster and stuff on the playground you know running against my friends and competing against them when I was 11 years old I moved to St. Louis Missouri to attend the Missouri School for the Blind and that's actually when I got introduced to track and I also did a whole bunch of other sports such as wrestling, goalball. I tried swimming, but I sank, you know, so. And, and before we kind of go on to, to that stage of your life, like what, what was it yeah. like as a, a child losing your vision? Because I imagine it's, it's, it's so much crueler when you're young because you can't really understand why and, and also the implications. Yeah, you think it would be cooler, but actually it's a lot more frustrating just because – you know, your vision is decreasing and one moment you can see and mm. then the next minute you can't and not being able to explain to other children on why, you know, because, of course, kids were brutal, you know, at that yeah. age. Mm. And, you know, of course, they're looking at me and like, hey, at this point, so keep this in mind. Remember, I said I lost my left eye when I was three. So I didn't get a prosthetic shell. I do have one now until I was nine. So up until then, I had pretty much a hole in my eye, in my socket. So I'm getting kids looking at me, dude, what's wrong with your eye? Dude, what is wrong with your eye? And I don't even know what's wrong with my eye. And then, of course, one minute I'm able to see well, and then the next minute I'm not able to see well. You know, I'm going inside, outside. That affects my vision majorly because I'm super light sensitive. And I'm talking about at that age. You know, so, of course, I'm going inside and outside, and then, of course, I'm not able to see well, and, you know, I'm trying to use my cane, but I'm still learning how to use it, so I'm bumping into stuff, and then I'm asking my friends, can I 
you know, get some help here. And they're asking, why can't you see, you know, then some who did offer the help and stuff like that. Now I'm feeling kind of frustrated because I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Why can't I see, you know, so it was a whole bunch of frustration going on at that moment in time. Like I remember back then I was able to read just good small print. And I'm attending CCVI at this time. My mom actually held me back in kindergarten because I needed to learn Braille. I was reading print. So now here I am. I'm getting held back in kindergarten to learn Braille. Why am I about to learn Braille when I can see well enough to reprint? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Next thing I know, I'm not able to see the small print. And it's having to get blown up even bigger. So now I'm reading these pages that are shoot, the size of, you know, a MacBook, you know, if not bigger and wider, you know, I'm just talking as far as lengthwise and widthwise, you already know. Mm-hmm. I can get a picture of that. And I'm reading these print letters that, you know, like I said, they're huge on a CCTV. So, you know, a closed circuit tel- no television in order to blow it up even bigger. And then it gets to a point where I can't even see that. So it's kind of like, what's going on with my site? My mom had to sit me down and just explain to me, you know, Dave, this is what's going on. This is, you know, why you're not able to see. And that was a rough point for me just because it's like, well, what am I going to do? And was, you it, know, was, and, it, was it always a foregone conclusion that you were going to fully lose your sight? I mean, did, did your mom know that? and, and uh, Or was there still a possibility that... You, you may have uh, have kept some of your sights. See, there was a possibility that I could still keep some. You, you don't really know how much I could have lost. Yeah. Well, we didn't really know how much I could have lost at that point in time. You know, mm-hmm. um, my, there was so much going on, and I was going through so many surgeries up until, you know, the age of six. And then even beyond that, I was still going through surgeries, you know, to lower my eye pressure, You know, and the thing that's wrong with me is my octave nerve, you know, in my right eye. So it's kind of hard to measure, you know, like how much pressure is actually on that eye and how much nerve damage is actually being done, you know, and gauge, okay, how much is he going to lose, you know, and when is it all going to be lost? And like I said, that all equaled out when I was about 13 years old. I remember I was at the doctor and the doctor was like, so you have calcium deposits over your eye. You know, we can scrape that off, but um, I don't think it will give you any sight back. You know, your retina is kind of messed up, too. You know, and um, it all comes down to your active nerve, how much, like, nerve damage is there. And there's there's quite a bit, so we don't know if there's anything we can do. I mean, we can do something to your eye. We can even give you a cornea transplant, but, you know, that's not going to help you see any better. And I'm just like well, this is my reality now, you know, this, this is where I'm at. And do you think, if you, if you kind of look back now, do you think it was harder losing your eyesight than it would have been to have been born without eyesight? Uh, see, that's actually a good question right there. You know, um, I have a you know, best friend of mine, actually, that I grew up with. I met her at uh, CCBI, so we went to preschool, kindergarten together, and you know we're still friends to this day. Who was born blind, 
And, you know, we talk about these kind of things all the time. You know, I asked her the same question. I'm like, do you think it would have been easier for you if you would have, you know, been born with eyes? And that's the thing. She was born without them. I'm like, if you were born with eyes, with sight, and then you lost your vision over time, she was like, you know, this is all I know, though. So I don't even, I can't even picture that. Me personally, if I would have been born without eyes and then you know, bring it all the way up until now, I still, it probably would have made a lot of things easier. Sorry, that was my phone. That's all right. <laughs> I thought you were in a shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like some Sounds like you're getting cash in. <laughs> yeah. Result. <laughs> yeah, but like I was saying, I mean, I feel like me personally, um, I don't even really know. Uh, there's some things that she, I see her dealing with, you know, which, of course, everybody is different. Yeah. But just put it like this, you know, being able to visualize certain things, certain aspects of stuff, you know, like, it's easier for me just because I've seen it before. You know, like, mm. when I talk to her about color or something like that, she's like, I don't know what that looks like. You know, I'm like, yeah, you know, this is blue, you know, and, of course, you know, I'm giving her as much description as I can, you know, or anybody that has sight is giving her as much description as she can, but she's like, I can't really put a picture to it other than what, you know, she's grown up with. And that's pretty much nothing. You know, I've asked her before too. I'm like, when you're in a dream, you know, cause of course in our dreams, we can do whatever we want. She's like, and you're like, I'm like in your dreams, you know, can you see? She's like, no, cause I've never seen before. Of course, as for me in my dreams, you know, there's points in time where it's like, Oh, I see, I can see that. Or, you know, I, you know, see the way that I could see now, you know, but it's all different in the sense, you know, because like I said, at once I was able to see, you know, now I'm not able to. And are you almost translating your other, um, just your sight and your smell and, and your understanding of the world around you? Are you translating that into your head, into almost a, a vision of the world? Or is, is that is that not part of how you... Um, I guess take on board information. Uh, if you could say that in the sense of, like you said, how I gather information, um, I do take it and I see it in the way that um, almost I've been raised. You know, just put it like this: to uh, I, I once was able to see print. You know, but I've read Braille for a lot longer. You know, I was sharing this with some of my friends and um especially my girlfriend, you know, I'm like, okay, there's print things that I'm not able to really see in the sense of, you know, letters wise, because I think in Braille. So if I'm thinking A, B, C, D, E, F, G, I'm thinking of the Braille letters or even the Braille contractions. So there is certain things, you know, like you said that I would take and I'll put it into the image that I can relate to in that aspect and and is braille a, a direct translation letter for letter then yeah so um different letters you know can translate into different words and um different numbers at the same time too so i take like i said if like if i'm thinking of my name i'm thinking of the braille letters you know even my last name you know i'm thinking of that plus the contractions that come with that so in Braille, we have mm. short form words, you know, like we could take a whole word that's like, you know, 20 
20 letters, then we can condense it down into like nine, just using trans, no, contractions and stuff like that, dip, depending on it. You know what I'm saying? What the word is. How do you, so how, I'm taking, how, how, sorry, how do you, how do you like picture that? Do you, do you picture that as the, as the feeling of the braille or the, or how you think the braille I'm, looks? Because you, 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 you saw braille, didn't you, before, when you were learning it? Because you still had yeah. sight then. Yeah, so actually, I, yeah, I saw it, and I also feel it. Like, I felt it back then. So when I'm thinking of it, I can visualize it in my right. head on how it looks. So, the, the like, I would say um, the direction of it. You know, like, okay, um, just for example, an F. Okay, let's say it go an F goes, is dot, okay, in Braille terms, is dot one, two, and four. Okay, dot four is on the right side. So... Let's say the line goes, it's almost like a backward seven. Just think of it like that. Yeah. And so I'm thinking of it kind of like that. I'm like, oh, a backward seven. Did you ever have that kind of image? Do you ever kind of brush up to things or are there any shapes on earth or that that we use like does that that translate into funny things in Braille? For example, does the... (laughs) Does the coast of California smell out a uh, spell out um you know Trump or you know whatever it may be? Um, as far as like actual images goes, I mean I don't really feel any kind of braille things unless I'm going to the bathroom and I'm reading its mint, you know? It's <laughs> <laughs> important, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> But yeah, I mean, uh, of course. And, and does that mean when you go to the bathroom, when you go to the bathroom, does that mean you've got to reach out with your hand into a zone which, if it's the woman's toilet, might not be the ideal place to reach into? <laughs> it's very scary. <laughs> like that too. Especially, okay, so I don't take my cane everywhere with me. No, I will admit that I'm a bad blindy. You know, I rely on. Um, well, when I'm with my mom, you know, she'd be like, boy, grab your cane, you know. Or <laughs> well, I'll give you the cane, boy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But when I'm with my girlfriend, usually, you know, um, I don't carry my cane around. So, of course, if I have to use the bathroom, nine times out of ten, I'm probably holding it until we get to a location where I can actually use it. Or if I get to a family restroom, if I got to go to a men's restroom, I prefer to have my cane because, mm. yeah, like you said, it can be – uh, zones that you don't want to <laughs> go into. You may walk up on a guy that's uh, standing there, you know, and I really the friendliest of, of eating. So, <laughs> trying to explain to him, oh, I'm sorry, I'm blind, you know. Like, yeah, a, li- a likely excuse. <laughs> they all say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thing is, though, you can kind of look at my eyes and can tell, like, oh, yeah, this dude, he can't see, but, you know, like, that ain't the initial kind of like, hey, hey. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it's a quick way to make friends, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So did your did your, your family then move to, to be um, at this blind school then? Yeah, so my mom and my sister, actually. So I grew up without a father. My mom and my sister, they moved with me to St. Louis to attend the Missouri School for the Blind. So um, the School for the Blind did have on-campus housing, but my mom didn't want me to have to deal with that. So she Hmm. moved with me. 
so I can, you know, attend school and just, I guess, be a normal kid as far as, you know, as much as I can be. <laughs> and, and I mean, how, how different was that in how you felt and how you interacted with the people there? See, so that was completely different. I didn't know. Sorry, I had to take a drink. What I was expecting, um, I did get bullied a lot when I was in school uh, as a kid. I got in a lot of fights, actually. I am a roughhouser at heart. I will admit that. So mm. when I did get to the school and learned that they had uh, wrestling, I was all on that. Like, hey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I actually wanted to go to college and wrestle, but um, more on that later. But uh, yeah, so when I did get there, and like I said, I was going to a school where I felt I could actually relate to these kids. Like they can, you know, empathize, sympathize with me in the sense, you know, I'm yeah. like, okay, you know, we we're all dealing with the same kind of blindness, and then of course, mm. you know, there's different levels of the blindness and different levels of intelligence, you know, I've learned to, you know, I've encountered all kinds of disabilities that comes with blindness at times, you know, I'm just like, okay, I can see, I can look at it now and I can see where a lot of the um, stereotypes come for, you know, blind people when they're like, oh yeah, you know, they talk to us kind of like we're dumb or slow, you know, cause you know, there is some, blind people that has a mental disability, you know, and stuff like that. And it's like, no, that's not me, you know, not knocking them. Mm-hmm. No, that the ones that do have a mental disability, like my hearts go out to them. Like those were some of my bestest friends actually when I was there, just because of the kind of personality that I have. And, you know, me, I just like to get to know people, you know, I like to communicate. And especially if you have a disability, you know what I'm saying? So when I got there though, trying to relate to these kids, you know, I found out, you know, I'm getting bullied again from people who are just like me. So that was kind of frustrating in the sense. Actually, it was real frustrating. But, you know, that's where wrestling came in. You know, I was able to take a lot, a lot of that frustration on the mat. <laughs> and and do, you think, yeah. do you think that's partly because it, nearly everyone there would have been bullied themselves and often often bullies have been bullied and it's their way of almost reasserting their confidence yeah, and, and the position back, isn't it? Yeah. yeah yeah um you would think you know there is some cases of that but then some of them that's all they know they've been to that school all their life yeah so mm. it wasn't necessarily them being bullied either I feel it was just, you know, actually now that I know, I wouldn't even say I feel, but it was just them being themselves. You know, kids just being kids at the end of the day, you know, Mm. and teenagers being teenagers. So this went from kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade. You know what I'm saying? So it was just. So basically you're saying they were just dicks. (laughs) It's kind of it's kind of no excuse, you know they're just dicks, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> but you know, at the same time it was a good it was a good um it was good for me because yeah. I will admit, you know, even though I did get in fights and I thought I was a tough little hombre, you know, like I had to toughen up, you know, just because I was coming into this environment thinking, Oh yeah, you know, I can relate and be cool with everybody and whatnot you know, doesn't mean, okay, you know, you can get soft. 
dude. Yeah. You know, like, don't just let them push up on you and everything else. You know, stand up for yourself. I'm like, okay, well, in this case, let's go then. You know what I'm saying? That's <laughs> so, of really, course, having... that's, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because you... Before, I don't know whether, whether this is what you're kind of what you're saying, but before, you know, the fact that you were bullied, you can kind of put it to, you know, maybe they're bullying me because of either, you know, how how they think I look or or, or the fact that I can't do the things I do. And then you go into an environment mm-hmm. where everyone is the same and you're still getting bullied. So it, it almost gives you a that an addition that additional uh, almost element to think about. Well, actually, this is about me rather than about the way that people perceive me. It's about something that I have to do. Um, yeah, in, terms in of, that aspect. No, go ahead. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Just it, and 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 yeah, you know, like you no. say, that's where you realize you've got to kind of toughen up. So actually, it you know, it it, yeah. it sounded like <clears throat> what you're saying here was that 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 was a, a, a beneficial move. It, it, you know, as, as horrific as bullying is, but that kind of it gave you that realization really early on. Um, there's different levels of bullying actually. So the things that the society kids would do is. You know, they would t- like they'll take things and move it in a different location, right? They know I can't see it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Wow. Or, mm. you know, how many fingers am I holding up? You know what I'm saying. I'm like, how many fingers am I holding up? And I put up a fist. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know what I'm saying. So, but you know, there's different levels of bullying. The kind yeah. of bullying that the kids did there at the school, you know was different than the kind of bullying that, that they actually did at the sighted school, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I got to the blind school, it was just more so just kind of like making fun of my voice, you know, because, of course, they can't, a lot of them can't see what I look like. <laughs> you know? so, so they find another <laughs> aspect of you to bully. Yeah, wow. exactly. Right. So they find other aspects, you know what I'm saying, kind of like um, they'll bully, like, Make fun of some of my like my personality traits, you know what I'm saying? Like, of course, that's when I say, you know, okay, maybe I gotta toughen up, you know what I'm saying? Mm. And some stuff, you know, some of the things that I would say, how I would say certain things, you know, of course, you know, there's different when, things that you can pick up on and try to. And when you say for. when you say you've got to toughen up, is that do, do you mean like physically get stronger or like a mental attitude or be more forceful with um, with people? Uh, I'll say yes to all those, but then, of course, there's measures to each one of those. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where, of course, it, how you interact with everybody is, you know, also important. You know, I can't approach, you know, Bob the same way I approach Dan. You know what I'm saying? You know, maybe I got to be tough with Dan over there, but then over here with Bob, I got to explain myself over here a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Or... Which is, which which I find quite sad because, you know, I, I, in an ideal world, people wouldn't have to toughen up. And, um, you know, you've, for someone, for someone like yourself who's going through a really (laughs) tough time, to then have bullying from people who you'd think would be the most empathetic and, and, um, and someone you could bond with is, is quite saddening. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing, though, is to, you know, we are dealing, like, even though we are in a world where there is a lot of blind people, we still are dealing with the real world. And, you know, if anybody with a disability, you know, we're already, like, 10 steps behind certain people. Mm -hmm. So, of course, having to work hard in order to get to where we're at, you know, that plays a factor. So, 
why not, in my personal opinion and viewpoint, go through and toughen up with those who can relate, you know, to what you're going through at the same time. And also you can gain tips from them, you know what I'm saying, and, you know, grow with them, build with them, you know what I'm saying, and just, you know, help them. Do you think? Do you think that has? Do you think that's actually helped you when it's come to training and focus and determination for being a good sprinter? I would actually say no. Like sports is in my blood. You know, I've grown up in an athletic family. Like I mentioned, I played basketball as a kid. You know, and uh, my uh, my family is a huge basketball family. You know, my mom played volleyball. some things I know about my dad as far as, like, athletic side. He played football and stuff like that, and he was pretty fast on the field. My mom tried, you know, track for a while, but her biggest thing was basketball. So, you know, I would come from an athletic background, and I'm just very competitive. So and, when I and when we exposed to these huh? – Oh, sorry, go ahead. So when I got exposed to these sports at the School for the Blind – you know, what was inside of me just pretty much was able to get unleashed. And I'm like, okay, I'm now learning how to, um, I guess you could say, interact and mm-hmm. be able to just fully unleash um, the beast that is inside, you know, through the, the sports that I was able to do. I'm like, oh, shoot, track, you know, running. You know, I was running on the playground. This is something that, I, you know, been doing so of course this is this is nothing to me but at the end of the day too i will tell y'all this i used to hate track just because remember i said i'm a rough houser at heart wrestling as soon as i you know got exposed to that i soaked that up and <laughs> i was actually pretty dominant in our conference you know for uh five years and um it was like man yeah this is this is where i'm at <laughs> and, and- and why why then did you end up in sprinting then was were the olympics and and the ability to compete internationally part of that or did something else draw you to it i would say yeah so um the speed one thing that you know drew me to continue to run and uh continue to uh sprint that was a uh, love of mine since I was a kid, you know, just getting faster and being faster than my friends on the playground. You know, now it's still the same way, but on a different level, you know. And what drew me to actually want to be a sprinter is uh, I was 15 years old. In 2008, I got to go to Beijing, China, and witness the Paralympic Games live. Mm. And I didn't know back then there was, you know, uh, the Paralympic Games in, in that high of standards, you know, I didn't know it was that huge. So when I went to Beijing, China, and saw the track event, back then I was doing wrestling and goalball. Those were the two sports that I was predominantly focused on. I wanted to be a very accomplished wrestler in college and an accomplished goalball player on the uh, elite circuit. But when I saw a track and what was going on there and how many people was there in the bird's nest, I was like, <laughs> you know, this is ridiculous. And on top of that, seeing 
you know, and, and I'm saying seeing in the way that I see, you know, so actually just feeling the vibe, detecting that, you know, the the energy there and then knowing that there's people down there that's running that are blind like me and or shall i say at this time i was still kind of in denial that i was as blind as i am that was worse than me you know so <laughs> even though i was on the same level as them it was like man you know i can do that i can i can I can run that fast. I saw this dude. He ran 1089. Josiah Jameson from the United States. He got gold. And I'm like, you know what? I can run that fast. I can run that <laughs> <laughs> and, and how old were you at this, at this time? 15 years old. And um, how, how did that trip end up happening? Was that sponsored by the school? or? Yeah, so... Uh, through the United States Association of Blind Athletes mm. and this other uh, organization, U.S. Paralympics, of course, as y'all guys know. I think it was another organization within the Paralympics. I don't know. But it was like a develop. It was a development camp going on kind of thing. And um, they were hosting a competition. They were sponsoring 25 emerging athletes to go to Beijing, China. So, of course, there was two waves. You know, they were taking X amount, the first wave, X amount, the second wave. I went to second wave, and I had to write an essay. So I will admit I, I do like to write. I, am, I guess I am a pretty good writer um, because my essay was selected out of hundreds of applicants. They were only taking 25. And... I was selected, and the essay had to be a, over, you know, pretty much my schooling, my goals. Why should they select me to be an athlete to go on this trip? What did and you say? What did you say? I don't even remember. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, no, no, you need to change this yeah. story and go, I knew then that I was going to win gold. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I would just admit, like, I don't even, because I didn't expect for my paper to be selected. So I don't even remember what I wrote and said. But I remember very, you know, very clearly. What I was doing that day when I got the call, I was in my room and I was just, you know, chilling. Um, I was watching television, had nothing going on really. And I was playing with, you know, back then I love playing with toys, you know, wrestling toys, big WWE fan back then. So I had, you know, my little wrestler toys. So I'm, ah, you know, on the ground wrestling with my toys, <laughs> you know, because of course, keeping my mind occupied and, you know, I say that helped with some of my creativity, I guess. But mom yells up the stairs, you know, after the phone rang, you know, and of course I don't know who it was. I didn't really care. Mom's there. She's like, David, grab the phone. And I'm like, well, who is it? <laughs> and she's like, it's John Register. I'm like, who the heck is John Register? <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's like, just get the phone. And I get the phone and he's like, David, um, this is John Register with U.S. Paralympics and, you know, uh, the I forgot what's the name of the competition, but, you know, U.S. Paralympics and uh, 
you know, the competition that I was a part of. And he was like, I just wanted to call and let you know that your essay, it was selected and you will be going to Beijing, China. I'm like, <laughs> it took me like five seconds to comprehend what he said. So I was like, wait, you're serious? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yeah. And it didn't even fully sink in. I didn't start jumping around and like celebrating like, hey, I'm going to Beijing until after I got off the phone with him. I'm like, wait. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and and so, do you think if yeah, you hadn't great. taken so do you think if you hadn't taken that trip you would have just carried on pursuing wrestling? I believe so, honestly. I don't believe I would have realized the magnitude of this or even wanted to desire to be a Paralympic athlete as much um there was another opportunity in 2010 that came where uh i was and this wasn't a selection it was just more so of a i want to do it i don't want to do it yes or no kind of thing um 2010 my coach at that time came up to me and three other i call them you know us the core four because we were the main four athletes that did all the sports at the at the school um so we were kind of like the jocks of the of the school so he came up to me in the core for uh three other athletes and we were he was like hey so there's this opportunity for you guys to run on this relay as the anchor in uh philadelphia and i'm like really he's like yeah it was um U.S. Paralympics, and I'm like, with U.S. Paralympics? At this point, I already learned about them. I already knew about them because, of course, 2008, you know, um, if I didn't go to Beijing, like I said, that uh, encounter would have been a lot different. You know, when I got to uh, Philadelphia, it was pin relays that I was running with alongside these uh, Paralympic athletes, you know, some that I saw two years prior. When I actually got to... uh, see them I was more so like oh man you know these are the guys you know and you know if I would have not gone I probably would have just been like oh so you are guys like I just would have looked at them as other athletes but at that point I was kind of like starstruck you know so the outcome would have been different (laughs) and with um is is being a Paralympian can it be a professional sport? Like, can it be a full-time career in America? It can be, actually. So, I will say, uh, and I'm not saying it's to bash my country, you know, because, of course, no, we are catching up. But um, the UK, y'all do have it better than us yeah. as far as sponsorships with uh, Paralympic athletes and even exposure goes. Mm. But you can make it as a full-time athlete over here. Um, I just recently got prom- uh, not promoted, uh, sponsored by Toyota as well oh, as cool. Comcast and uh, Advocare. So, you know, Paralympic athletes is uh, start to, like I said, it's starting to become a, it's starting to become bigger over here, which is great, you know, and at first, you know, when I was starting out in 2012, 
Um, I did make the London team, but in 2012, you, uh, back then, you, it, it wasn't all. I'm living, you know, with it. This is my dream, you know what I'm saying? Mm. <laughs> you got to really love what you're doing because, you know, I wasn't getting really, I wasn't getting paid at all. Yeah. You know, and this is nothing but recently, actually, until about two years ago when I was able to, actually, not two years ago, just last year. Dang, it feels longer than that. Um, just last year, I got sponsored by these companies that, uh, you know, I just mentioned to you. So prior to this, I was just living off of the stipend from U.S. Paralympics, which if you're living on the, a True Vista, well, I mean, well, if you're living on a training site, I would say it's good enough. But if you're living off-site and you're trying to live as an individual, you know, buying work, like if you got bills, rent, and all that other kind of stuff, just put it like this, it's not really good to live on. Mm. And and so how does it like how how does it work then with with trying to because you were in school you you obviously had talent Mm -hmm. and um so what point in that progression does the the association uh, do they highlight individuals and how do they then support you and and what's the balance between what they do and what you do. So what's going on is, for me, what happened was um, I hit the emerging standards as far as, uh, you know, being able to qualify for nationals, adult nationals, as they called it, and development camps. And going from there, then, of course, I was able to hit emerging standards i mean not emerging standards the words the world standards so now it's like okay i'm qualified to even run at my first international competition was uh pin relays in 2011 so guadalajara mexico so now i'm qualified to run there you know and do you are you moving you said you qualified for the camp does that mean you then had to move to wherever that camp was full-time or as a, as a just training cycle or yeah so it's a training camp you know so of course you just go there for you know about a week if not two weeks depending you know and um uh and usually that's out here where i'm living and training now in Trula vista california at the training site so that was usually out here the development camp. So I'll come out here for a period of time. Of course, they'll put us up room and board, you know, meals and all that stuff. And, you know, uh, we'll go through different uh, tests of like uh, broad jump, you know, working on technique, form, different things. They'll teach us how to do different things, help us develop certain aspects in order to get better and faster and give us different tips, you know, on uh workouts and stuff like that and everything goes man so i qualified to um come out here and you know do different camps of that you know aspect uh that, that level you know back when um they were doing that and and how does how do training partners fit in a, a, into that journey are you 
So when you were at school, would able-bodied people, sorry, able-sighted people come in mm -hmm. to to run with you there? Or was that something that once you decided to pursue sprinting, you then found someone or were you given someone and then did they join you? Is that a pairing for you know, for a year for just that week? How, how does that system work? Yeah, so it's so different from how somebody runs at the blind school than how somebody runs here in the Paralympic realm. When I was at the blind school, I was running by myself. And how I was running is on these things that are called wires. So it's literally a wire. And what the heck? Okay, but it was literally a wire and just uh uh, thick hard plastic around it so we'll run with our left hand a lot of the times holding on to the wire or skimming on the wire and pumping our other arm if that you know some athletes they didn't pump their arms but hmm. me of course knowing how to sprint and run I'm pumping my right arm so of course now Getting into the Paralympics, learning that, okay, there's no wires. I haven't having to run with somebody else. I actually came in a, a running hard time. Oh, wow. Can we pause real quick? <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, there's somebody at the door. Yeah, of course. Are you serious? What's up, my man? Ah, oh, you found me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yes, please. You want to know the craziest thing, though, too? I am actually doing a podcast right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're good. So this is funny, guys. This is actually a are you side tester or drug tester? <laughs> that's so cool amazing yeah i had a feeling that uh how he was knocking that this was the guy that's why i was like Wait, can we pause real quick you don't want to mow farrer on this yeah, one so yeah y'all getting the uncut version of everything like this is this is like <laughs> yeah we got you out of here you know so well, <laughs> David, do you want us to, because, um, you know, rather than having to listen to you pee uh, on the podcast, oh, which, no, like, um, it, it would make interesting yeah. listening. Do you want us to reschedule like a second half? Oh, uh, no, actually, we can finish up and then I'll, I can do what I have to do. <laughs> and are you happy yeah, for this okay. to stay in? Because I think this is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, like I said, everything that's going on here, y'all can feel happy to keep it right <laughs> in, you know what I'm saying? Everything I'm telling y'all, y'all have the option to cut out if y'all so choose. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing to, words, hear, to you know hear it actually happen. <laughs> <laughs> they, with, with that bigger deal within the Olympic Association that you started with, like, we need, to, we need to make a point and we need to be, you know, on, on the biggest podcast on earth as, as testing someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not only that, you know, with everything that's going on with uh, COVID and everything else, it can give athletes the opportunity to, uh, you know, get on the juice if you so choose it. 
you know. But, um, <laughs> yeah. It's cool that we have you Sada around to help keep us clean and, you know, uh, you know, keep us honest. Yeah. You've got, you got to say that, Chris right you got to say that when he's there. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, but, so when, when you then left from running with the wire, uh, well, firstly, does it, mm-hmm. running with the wire, does that cause you yeah. problems with, like, do you, does one arm become stronger than the other? Does that cause issues yeah. with balance? Um, does that then flow into the legs being out of balance as well? Um, I wouldn't say it flew out of the legs being out of balance because um, when I was doing uh, the sprinting and holding onto the wires, I was still doing a long jump at the same time and a lot mm. of two-legged stuff. So I was making sure I was staying balanced within my legs. But as far as the strength within my my arms, especially the left side, it was very, very very weak but we so, need to arm wrestle you with our left arm basically that's the one that's the one for yeah, the money <laughs> <laughs> yeah it had gotten better throughout the years but um there is still sometimes i will admit that uh it does catch up with me as far as like uh, my left arm goes so my that's one reason why as you guys will you know see and stuff when i'm running my guide is on my my left it was because, you know, I was having troubles with my left. And I'm like, you know, I need somebody to help me get my arms up or this left arm up just because it was uh, weak and I didn't know how to pump it. And and do you need to do, do you need to swing together then and time that swinging and also um, have have a rhythm between you for when you run? So, yeah, so when I'm running, um, for those who are listening, just think of it like a three-legged race, but we're not tethered together by our legs. We're tethered together by our hands, our fingers. And when we're running, you know, we're perfectly synchronized all the way around the track. And one thing that you usually don't see is my guide is actually talking to me. He's yelling and talking to me while I'm running at the same time to let me know where I am on the track, just because of course I can't see where I am and I need to know where I'm at. You know, I need to know if I'm 20 meters in, if I can keep on driving, if I have 20 meters to go and I die out, you know, that's all bad. You know, that, that can be the race. If I'm five meters away and then I end up pulling back, you know, and I don't push that last five, you know, that's a, that's the difference between a gold and a silver. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Or so having to be able to push and continue to push and stuff like that, and knowing where you're at at all times on the track is very important. So my guide, he's talking to me and yelling to me at the same time, and at the same time keeping stride with me. And does that mean you need to be because your stride is very much determined partly by your height, mm-hmm. partly by your power. Do, is it very hard to, to find an exact match then? Or is that the skill of the, the, the guide runner that they can actually adapt to follow your stride and your rhythm? It's, I would say yeah on both ends, just because it is hard to find a match, you know, and just because it's so hard to find a match. Now, if you get somebody that's not a match, the guide has to adapt to you. And 
give the athlete the freedom to run however they so choose. And, and what's the process for finding a match then? Is, is that something that the association help with or do you have to go out and appeal to sprinters? Yeah, on both. And I say that just because um, uh, starting out, I was a couple of times provided a guide, but then I ended up finding my own guide. And then that guide ended up falling through, and I ended up being placed with another guide when I moved out here that was provided by the association, as you said. You, you know, um, U.S. Paralympics, he was guiding and I've met this guy already. Um, he was guiding for another athlete before I moved out here. And he didn't have um, necessarily an athlete to guide. He lives out here in San Diego. And the athlete that he was guiding was, uh, he lived in Arizona. So when I moved out here, I paired up with him and competed alongside him for a number of years. And after that, um, in 2014, uh, life happened to where he wasn't able to guide me as you know, much. He didn't really have as much time. And um, honestly, I was developing a lot faster. And I started out running my guide, if y'all wanted me to be honest. Wow. And yeah, so I had to find another guide. And that's the guide who I'm with now, uh, Jerome Avery. Um, Jerome he ran 10-1 and an uh, Olympic hopeful back in 2004, 8, and um, I believe 2012. But he continued to get uh, eliminated in the semifinals. So, mm. uh, no, he got introduced to guide running back in 2004, and he's just been guide running ever since. And, you know, the guy... He's a beast as far as you no know, speed goes. I mean, ten one, hello, you know, ten two. This was the guy who I saw run in, you know, alongside Josiah Jameson in two thousand and eight. He was guiding him, so I'm like, okay, this guy must be fast. And I mean, he is a he's a beast. Full stop. If you're if you're worried about trying to fit into two lanes, he's about a lane and a half by himself. <laughs> the guy is a tank. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm like, okay, being able to get paired up with him. In 2014, how that happened was I was training in the, on the track, you know, by myself. And uh, the he was still training with Josiah, actually. But Josiah, he had enough sight to be able to train by himself. So Jerome was training by himself. So he was seeing what I was doing, seeing that I was in need of a guide and some help. And he was like, you know, he said to my coach, y'all need some help like you want me to do something with them like what's good you know so my cousin was like yeah you know you think you can run a 300 with them so we did a 300 at first but then he was like you know what i want you guys to do some block starts together from there the block starts that's kind of like when it all connected you know i was able to just cut loose and go mm -hmm. fast i didn't even know that i was going as fast as i was going they were pointing it out and they were like he's looking good i'm like i am like what the heck, you know, I'm able to actually run free. And then my coach was like, you know what, I want you guys to run in 
the first two races of the season together. And we'll go from there. You know, if this works, then it works. If it doesn't, then it, you know, it doesn't. So the first race of the season comes around. I'm warming up with Jerome. And we get out there on the track. And gun goes off. We take off. I end up winning the whole meet. I ran my fastest time ever um, and an American record. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> and and how? Because with that start, you you have to start on different legs, I assume, so that your arms are in tune. Um, yeah. Like, does does that cause problems? And and also on the start, can you you be disqualified for him false starting? Yes, on both, like on all that, yeah. So, like I said, I'm running, just think of it like a three-legged race. So if mm. their right foot is forward, my left foot is forward, you mm. know. And, um, of course, the guy has to match you. At first, I actually, I, uh, I was started on my right foot, but then I, re- uh, I switched to my left. And um, I can do that. You know, I'm kind of ambidextrous with my my legs starting, so I can either start off my right or my left. So I switched to my left because um, my guy Jerome was having problems with his, uh, was having hip problems actually, starting on his other leg. So I switched just for you know to accommodate him, mm. and it it worked out too. It didn't really you know bother me. And so when we do take off, like you mentioned, our arms are in sync, our legs are in sync. And if he does false start, considering the fact that we are one unit, if he false starts, it does come back on me. Oh, oh that would be yeah. brutal, wouldn't it? That would be a bitter pill. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Yeah, sadly, you know, we've seen that happen before where in a race, you know, a guy that would false start and, you know, just the athlete gets eliminated and, you know, this athlete, he started just throwing a tantrum just because he was like, you know, that was my guy. It wasn't even me. Like, this ain't mm-hmm. fair. I'm not getting off the track. Like, you know, and the guy just feels so bad, you know, and I'm like, of course you should because it's, like, it's, it's both of you. You're one unit. And I'm like, I understand exactly where, you know, the athlete is coming from because, of course, you know, it's like, man, why should we be penalized for something that our guys did? You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, it's like, well, you know, we are a team. No, and, really. and and a guide's kind of compensated to match the athlete and and does then things like does things like sponsorship cause complications? Uh, it can. Um it all depends on the sponsor. Both Jerome and I are blessed to be sponsored by the uh same sponsors of Toyota and Comcast. And so, you know, there's that benefit, you know, like I said, there's that mm-hmm. blessing in itself. But, you know, there's some cases where, of course, it's just like, okay, well, we're just going to take one, not the other. So it all depends on the sponsor. It all depends on, um, I guess, the promotion of the athletes. Mm-hmm. Are they promoted as one unit? Are they promoted as an individual? You know, like Avocare, I'm sponsored by Avocare. Jerome is actually sponsored by Clean Sports. So those are two supplemental companies that, you know, we have 
individually. Like, okay, he's sponsored by them. I'm sponsored by, you know, Admiral Care. I um, promoted myself as an individual athlete. I went to them myself and was like, hey, you know, this is a, a sponsorship that I would love to have, you know, uh, Admiral Care, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, they brought me on. But they are also saying, okay, it was considering the fact Rome is, you know, a part of you, we'll still hook him up too as kind of like a, a sub person under you, even though, you know, we're sponsoring you. So when we're, I go to an event, it's me, you know, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And they're like, but we'll also hook up Jerome with product as well if he wants product, you know, so those kind of things. And, and are you constantly training together as well? And do you try and match your everything from weights to your, your whole schedule? I wouldn't say weight. Because, um, of course, when it comes down to it, we are different body types. You know, the weight that I run out, I mean, I run at may not be comfortable for Jerome, you know, and, and vice versa. And we are, even though it doesn't look like we're different heights, you know, he's 5'10", I'm 5'8". You know, but um, as far as schedules go, we do have to be on the same schedule in order to be able to train together. And we do try to train alongside each other as much as possible. Since COVID happened, you know, that's been hard, of course, you know, social distancing. And I've been um, in a different location than Jerome. You know, I'm staying off site and he's he has a house here in San Diego himself. So, of course, we've been apart from each other. And uh, I've been doing my own thing as far as like training goes and stuff like that, adapting to the situation. But um, we paired up some, like, about a month ago or so, like that. And, you know, considering the fact we train together a lot, like, nonstop, it's just like riding a bike. You know, we get back together and everything is good. And, and so coming on to then um, 2013, which is when the first time you won the World Championship. Uh, oh, no, uh, silver. Silver at the World Championships. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like was that that was that your first proper international competition? Well, uh, I'll say my first proper international competition was uh, Guadalajara, Mexico, in 2011. My first World Championships was 2013, and um, I was running with, like I mentioned, my guy at that time, his name mm. is Roland. I was running with Roland Slade back then, and. I was training for the 400. So back then, um, I was uh, running the 400 to gain a base. You know, as my coach said, we were establishing the base training. So building our tank, lung capacity. So I trained for the 400. I love the 400, just by the way. You know, and um, I know a lot of people don't say that. (laughs) But um, only reason why I don't love the 100 as much is because it's too short. You know, me growing up as a kid, you know, I grinded as far as to get faster. And when I ran, I wasn't just running in short little bursts of speed just for 100 meters. I ran down the playground and I ran back. You know, who can get there faster? You know what I'm saying? So that mm. grit, that grind was like, ah, you know what I'm saying? You have to really push. The 400 gives me that same grit and grind. So it's like, man, you know, I got to really push and I get to work and, you know, test my limits. You know what I'm saying? And push myself to 
pretty much to you collapse. You know what I'm saying? Literally. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, you know, and I, I'm an anime fan. Um, so Dragon Ball Z, you know, Goku is like, yeah, you know, you get to power up almost in a sense. <laughs> but um, when, back, what made you decide then to switch and to, to shorten? Yeah, so I'll get to that. So in 2012, of course, I ran in London the 100 and 200. And um, that's pretty much what I was running up until then. And when I switched to, you know, establish my base, pretty much, um, my coach told me, okay, do your homework. No, I was doing a lot of 400s that year. And um, I was getting faster in them alongside, like I said, my guide, who he claimed he wasn't a 400-meter runner, but he was fast enough, you know, to guide me in the 400. And I was getting faster in my 200. So I had an option. I had options when I was going into the World Championships. I could either do the 100 and 200 or the 2 and the 4. But I had to see what chance, like, what was the chances of me getting the medal? So I got, um, I chose the 400 that year. No, I could have ran the 100, but I chose the 400 that year because I looked at the times, the duration of times that year and compared them to my times. And I looked at the times that were in London, compared them to the times that I was running at that time, you know, going into world championship. And I was like, you know what? I have an opportunity. I have a chance to possibly get a medal. I don't know which medal it is maybe a bronze because at that time I was running the same time as the bronze medal, the bronze medalist, but I'm like, either way, my best opportunity to get a medal is in the 400. So that's why I chose the 400 back then because of the opportunity, the chance that I had to be able to get a medal. And I did. Mm. And it was like, not only that, an American record. So it was like, oh man, you know, that's what's up. And so after that, my coach said, okay, now let's kind of see where we can go as far as your speed. And now let's work on the shorter distance. We'll work on the 100 a little bit more as well as the 200. We'll still keep the 400-meter training in there. And only reason why, too, we said let's build on the speed is because 2014, there's nothing that year. Really, you know what I'm saying? No major championships as far as world mm. championships or Paralympic Games go. So let's capitalize and work on the speed. And so I did. And that's like I said, when I had to pair up with Jerome, just because I started going faster. And from there, I went from running my best at that time in 100 meters was 11.29 to at the end of that season, you know, of course. I ran it sooner, but so let me say, eleven two nine. My first race, I ran eleven fifteen, and then the next race, eleven twelve. And okay, now I'm like, what's the world record? Eleven oh three. That's what it was at the time. And I'm like, if I keep on this pace, I should be able <laughs> to hit the world record by at least my fifth or sixth race. No, I actually hit it my third, but it was wind dated. So it didn't count. It was 2.1. And so the following week at Mount Sac Relays in April, 
of 2014, I ran the 200, broke the world record then, came back the next day, ran the 100, broke the world record then, and this is the first time ever in history that in one, oh, one weekend at the same meet, two world records were broken. <laughs> and how, and so and and did that change um did that change your positioning did that change your life did that change your expectations you could say yeah um a little bit i still wanted to run the 400 i still desired to run the 400 i wish i could still run the 400 but um jerome's not a 400 meter runner so um we did bring in other guides throughout the year to be able to run with me in the 400 and different circumstances happened to where um, I wasn't running as best as I could. Uh, I'll admit, even though I started out in 2012, you know, on the elite circuit, as far as like going to the games and training full times and stuff like that, I was still a newbie in the sense of I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was just running. I was still that kid on the playground, pretty much just running as fast as I can. I had no technique, no form. And so um, that played a factor. Also nutrition. I didn't really have a good grasp on it. So my weight started fluctuating, you know, up and down and stuff like that. And, you know, um, a lot of stuff started happening. Some injuries started happening and different things, you know. So... Up until 2016, I was training for the 400. And I went through, like I said, a number of guides up until then. Then I was able to run with one in uh, Rio, at, but I ran injured in both the 200 as well as the 400. But prior to that, of course, I got gold in the 100. So it was like, yay, you know. <laughs> And, and, and in the because in the build up of Rio though, because that for a long time was looking like it might not happen because the mm. funding had run out. Like, were you? How did that affect you? And and did you? As as that rocked your faith to a certain extent in in uh, as people's support of you. Actually, I didn't even know that the funding ran that out in Rio. So like. Well, was running out in Rio, so I wasn't affected by it at all. My goal was to just grind and put myself in a good position to be able to get a medal in whichever race I uh, I ran. You know, so I was like, you know what? Got to get gold in the hundred. Got to get gold in the two. Got to get gold in the four, or at least try to get gold in the four. You know, but I'm like. That was where I was at. I wasn't focusing on, okay, this is funding running out or any of that. Like I said, I didn't even know about that. Mm. You know, and um, there's a really the, the, there's hmm? a really good documentary called um, Rising Phoenix or similar uh, yeah, that's on I Netflix. Get, I didn't get to watch it yet. It's really good, and that that discusses mm. the the whole Rio situation. And I think you'll watch back now and be like, bloody hell, I didn't realize how close that was. Oh, wow. That's crazy. 
and and so check it out now. <laughs> are you are you now? Is your intention to? Are you still going for the one hundred, two hundred, and four hundred? So my goal now is um they re- they took out the two hundred, and that's my favorite race actually, just because it's not too long and it's not too short. It's just right there in the middle, mm. you know. But they took out the two hundred out of my classification. So it was either go up or go down. And since I'm running with Jerome and he's not going up, <laughs> <laughs> you got to go down. So I'm just running and focusing on the 100 meters. Uh, we'll still run 200 meters uh, for training purposes, you know, in different meets and stuff like that. But at the games, you know, it's just predominantly 100 meters. And, and how much has the, the delay of the Olympics affected you? Um. I mean, all it does is just put me back in the sense of more training now that I can do and more focus. You know, um, Jerome and I, we talked about it, and it's like a blessing in disguise almost just because, you know, March hit. We learned that, okay, the games are being postponed. It's like, okay, now we actually get to focus on the little things that we can, we need to focus on that, that you usually can't focus on when you're running alongside somebody. You know, when you are running with somebody, your weaknesses are their, well, can be their strength. So you don't know what the problem may be unless you're actually training and running by yourself. You know, so we was able to, of course, I guess you could say, learn those little things that we need to improve ourselves and then you know, come back together and just makes it that much stronger. Interesting. I, I hadn't even realized that might be a, a positive to come out of it. Um, mm-hmm. And and going back to that that hundred meter Paralympic gold, you'd you'd seen the Paralympics in the bird's nest. You know, that had always been your intention. Uh, did it live up to? But what did it feel like when you finally won? And and did it live up to that expectation? So. The dream came true in 2012 when I went to London. You know, by the way, London is probably my favorite, like the best stadium I've ever ran in. You know, so I love that stadium. <laughs> but <laughs> um, the dream came true in London. So at that point in Rio, I was already over the, I guess you could say the shock of just, oh, man, you know, my dream came true. At this point, it's all down to business. And it's like, you know what, four years ago, I wasn't on the radar. You know, they said keep an eye out for me, but I wasn't on the radar. Now here I am. I have a chance to, you know, make history here. So. So actually, it was competing. It was competing that was the... The real dream, competing on, on the the big stage rather than necessarily winning. Um. Well, competing was the yeah the competing was the dream back then, in two thousand and twelve. Um, winning was the dream. Yeah, in two thousand and sixteen. Yeah, so you were right on that point. So yeah, in two thousand sixteen, it's like man. You know, because I've already competed. So it's like, okay, at this point, I'm here to win. And now, <laughs> when I did win, it's like, oh, man, you know, 
It's a dream. It was crazy. It was crazy. And 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 what changed um, from how people perceived you and and how you perceive yourself with that win? Um, I think how people perceived me. The perception became, uh, well, one, this guy is really fast. You know, like, it really shed light, I feel, too. Like, back in 2014, I feel like light was being shed even more on uh, the, the VI class. In the IPC, especially. Because now you have an athlete that is running as fast as a single-leg amputee or a double-leg amputee or, you know, uh, the arm amps. You know what I'm saying? And these guys mm. are running, you know, 10-8 speed, 10-7, 10-9. You know what I'm saying? So we're all around the same kind of speed. I mean, sure, you have um, Jason Smith, who's, you know, one of the fastest Paralympians out there. And he's running as fast as them, but he's in a different class. You have a totally blind guy running as fast as these guys now. You know, somebody who's tethered. So I feel like the um, perspective, you know, really shifted on, you know, how fast can these guys go? You know, it shifted a lot in 2014. In 2016, kind of the same thing. And, um... It was like, you know what, uh, we can be competitive. And a lot more light was actually shed on uh, the races of the, like I said, the T1100 meters especially, you know. And even going forward, uh, still the same thing, you know. A lot of light is still continuing to be shed and a lot of... um coverage which is great and and how do you think it's it like because the we certainly have in the uk a perception that um you know the paralympics started here there is a, a mm -hmm. bit of pride that that london maybe kick-started the the global movement of not the paralympics but actually that people like millions of people want to watch because it, you know, rather than it just being an event for the individuals, it's an event for everyone. Um, uh -huh. And and like, wh where do you see the the United States in all of this? And and you know, our perceptions changing. And do you think sport is really having? Is it crossing over from just being seen as a positive in sport to actually changing people's perceptions of people with? Um, disabilities in general yeah so where the united states is on that is like i mentioned earlier like we are still behind but you know it's getting a lot better and um where it's at now you know compared to where it was then you know like i said before we back in 2016 was our first time on television you know, ever. And of course, the Paralympics, we've been having, you know, people on, you know, the Paralympic team and stuff like that and competing for years. But mm. 2016 was just our first time, you know, on uh, the major networks like NBC and stuff. Over here, 
a lot of the times and it's still it's a little bit lesser now but um we still get confused with the special olympics so a lot of people don't know the difference of special olympics versus paralympics you know like we we can walk up to somebody and you know tell them you know after they ask like oh yeah you know what do you do? Who you compete for? You know, yeah, I'm Team USA. You know, I'm in the pa uh, Paralympics. Oh, the Special Olympics? I just said Paralympics. You know, and it's mm. like, no, it's the the Paralympics, not the Special Olympics. You know, and then of course we have to explain that to them. The coverage now that we are receiving, like I said, since Paralympic athletes are getting sponsored by these major sponsors now, the exposure that we're able to get is it's it's huge now compared to where it was before and i feel like a lot of these major sponsors you know like you said are broadcasting you know our stories even more just because well and it's more so in the sense of like you said um not just a inspirational message it's more so just like look at what these athletes are doing look how great these athletes are like these are athletes you know and um they're here to compete and I feel like a lot more people are starting to see that, you know, and not just being like, oh, man, you're such an inspiration, you know, like before where they be like, oh, yeah, you're such an inspiration, you know, to all, you know, where they will say that and then just be like the intent is like, oh, you're an inspiration just because, oh, yeah, you're a blind person and you're running and you having to fight through your you know, overcome your disability, you know, and stuff like that. It's coming to a, no, you're an inspiration because you're an athlete. You're blind. Mm. You're yeah. fast. Like, they're actually starting to see the accomplishments. You know what I'm saying? And they're mm. like, man, you're a fast individual. On top of that, you're blind. Like, what the heck, dude? You know, and I tell people, I'm like, it's, this ain't something that I'm overcoming as far as a disability goes, a blindness goes. Like, I've lived with this. You know, I've already overcame it. You know, and everybody has something to overcome, whether it be something mental, whether it be something physical, whether it be something emotional, we're all overcoming something. You know, this is just something I do. This is something I do. This is who I am. I'm an athlete first. You know what I'm saying? And I just so happen to be blind. So if I'm an inspiration to you, let me be an inspiration just because of what I'm doing, what I have accomplished, you know, Look at what I have accomplished, you know, world record holder, you know, two-time world record holder, gold medalist, you know, and then, of course, all the life achievements that, you know, I'm accomplishing and stuff like that. You know, let me be an inspiration to you to let you know, like, hey, get off your butt and keep going. You know what I'm saying? Don't just be like you're an inspiration because you're blind and you're overcoming a blindness, you know, and you're looking down on me just because I don't see the way that you see. No. You know, I feel sorry for some sighted people because you can't see the way that I see. You know, our sight is different and how we see things is two different perspectives and it's all in the eye of the beholder. But one thing that you can look at is look at what I'm doing and not what I'm looking at in the sense of sight-wise go, but see is where I've gone and where I'm going and say, oh, you're an inspiration because now you're pushing me to want to do better, not you're pushing me because like I'm sighted and you know, uh, 
I'm not doing everything that you're doing or I haven't accomplished what you have accomplished and I'm excited. It's like, okay, really? And I'm excited. That don't mean, that don't mean you're better than me. What, what, like, so. what would you say, um, what do you think we need to change in people's perceptions and, and also in the way society treat disabled and blind people? Um, like what, if you had the ability to, to change people's views or to implement um, systematic changes in government support, like what would be the main ones that you'd want to to implement? Well, as far as perspectives go and stuff like that, every blind person is an individual blind person. You know, we something about I guess you could say boxes. You know, it's almost like we're all put in the box. You know, and of course, there's stereotypes, and everybody gets stereotyped against, you know, and but yet everybody always gets mad when you stereotype them. We're individuals at the same time, so how do you think we will feel if you come up to us and start treating us like the stereotypical, you no, know, stereotypical blind person? You know, as far as like, oh, yeah, if you come up to us and you start just yelling because you think we're deaf and blind. It's like, no. No, I've had that happen before quite a few times when I'm in the airport. Like a person will come and be like, hello, sir, do you need help? I'm like, yes, I would love some help. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, yes, sir. I'm like, neither do you. But yet we're doing this. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But so the perception needs to change as far as like, just know, okay, one, we're individuals, you know, and then of course, two, um, as far as support goes, you know, I can't, I don't really know as far as like, uh, I mean, I mean, as far as, yeah, more things need to be accessible. I will say that. And that comes in time. You know, um, a lot more things are accessible in the UK over, I mean, than over here in America. I will admit that. You know, a lot of things that I'm probably saying doesn't even apply to over there. But this is how a lot of things is over here in America, you know. So um, things need to be more accessible over here. And, and, um, and actually, it, coming it, in time. It, it might be partly because you're in London and it's far easier to make things accessible in densely populated areas and you are at the Paralympics. Mm -hmm. So I'd imagine every single place that you went to, they had custom built to ensure that it was as accessible to everyone as possible. So you, you may be looking on the UK with slightly rose tinted glasses there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, what I have seen, you know, as far as even um, equality goes, you know, over there, I don't know, maybe uh, I am still looking at it from a Paralympic lens, but Jerome did live over there quite a few times, and he said the same thing. You know, um, as, far as, as far as equality goes, you know, it's a lot more accepting as far as uh, disabilities and stuff goes, and there's a lot more accessible things over there. Mm. And um, like I said, there is things coming over here but it is in due time i feel like um and of course it's one of those things you can't make everybody happy you know mm. 
sometimes you cater more to a certain uh, a certain minority, a certain disability more than another, you know. And um, I feel like it, it's all based on the individual blind person, like what is their need, and then taking that and then uh, helping whatever it is conform to the accessible side to make it accessible for that blind person you know like right now i'm in a i'm in seminary i'm in college and i'm their first ever totally blind student so of course they don't know how to deal with that you know and um as far as accessibility goes they don't know exactly what i need or don't need stuff like that so uh, being able to speak up and advocate for myself you know what I'm saying? That plays a factor. A lot of the other blind people, they need to, you know, speak up, you know, and advocate for themselves and say what they need. And then, of course, hopefully it has a rippling effect to where it be like, okay, well, how do we make this accessible for more blind people? You know, Advocare, the same thing. You know, when I was talking to them about their website and stuff like that, I was like, hey, uh, and of course, they're still working on it. And I'm like, hey, is it possible y'all can make this website more accessible for me so I can see X, Y, and Z on the screen? And they're like, we can try to work on that. We can actually talk to them about that. We didn't. This is something we'd never thought about. Something mm. we didn't think about. Go. Now we we've, we've got we've got a few questions from the the do badders, our listeners. They mostly, I have to say, focus around on uh, positive like, disbelief of your speed, but also uh, like the questions like relating <laughs> like how you can find a how you can find a guide runner, which we you know we've covered. But um, I've got a question from Imogen, which is, what's the biggest mis um, misperception that you come across from within the athletic community about running with blindness? Uh, biggest mis perception is that we can't do it um because i would tell people you know yeah i'm a professional track runner you know i'm a professional track athlete and they're like yeah you know keep the dream alive i'm like the dream and it's like wow. look, you know you can look me up just Google my name, you will see what's going on. Like, what's good? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, that I think that's the biggest misconception right there is that, you know, it can't be done. You know, you look at us and when you hear what, you know, we're doing, it's, I feel like with any kind of blind blindness, but especially with track, you know, or sport, it's just kind of like, well, how is that? You know, if I were to tell you, oh, I play goalball or that I swim, you know, of course, you'll be more hyped to be like, oh, that's cool. You know what I'm saying? It's like, or because you can see a blind person doing that or somebody with a visual impairment doing that. But yeah. running, you know, sprinting on top of that, it's like, how is that possible? Nah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I had somebody one time in the store, and I was with another blind friend of mine, and, you know, we were shopping, and they were like, you know, yeah, y'all y'all get around really well and you're like and you yourself man you're looking like you're in shape you know you i'm like yeah i'm a i'm a track athlete you know i i do uh i'm with the u.s paralympics he's like oh mm-hmm you know like like i said you got that keep the dream alive kind of <laughs> mentality i'm like 
And I'm sitting there with a USA shirt on too. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, it's another question. That's, it's a bit of a cliche, but um, we do hear, you know, we, I've certainly grown up with the, the story that if you lose one sense, that it heightens your other senses. Like, have you found that? Do you find that your hearing and, and your other senses are, are far, far better than people around you? Uh, yeah, no. I feel like it's more so of an awareness of the different sense. You know, I have to, of course, rely more on other senses than most people. And mm. I will admit, too, um, I do downplay sometimes my senses if I'm with somebody that can't see. It's almost like a balance, you know what I'm saying? Just because it's mm. like, okay, well, they can see, so, you know, they can see it. I may be able to hear it, but, you know, it's like I'm not as aware of what's going on. You know, it's kind of like a more of a relaxed state. But when I am by myself, you know, it's more of an awareness, not really a heightening. You know, this is a state that I feel anybody can accomplish if you just close your eyes and, you know, you just focus more so on your your ears or your your legs, your your hands, whatever, you know, it just brings more focus, not really a like an advanced kind of a a feature. It's just more so mm -hmm. okay. It's almost like meditation. You know what I'm saying? If you close your eyes and you start meditating and you focus on certain things and stuff like that, it just brings more of an awareness. Mm. Not really a heightening, but it's a, a awareness. You know, so and then um, his final question, if looking back now on on how your life has panned out, if you could go back, um, would you change things? Um, would I change things? Uh, I probably would in regards to just um, my normal life. Um, as far as sports goes, I wouldn't change a thing. But uh, as far as, like, life things go, you know, I probably would go back and, you know, attack track a little bit more, you know, uh, absorb a little bit more, you know, on those. When I say absorb, just pretty much, like, um, take more tips in, um, look up more training things, you know, try to do more when it came to the sport. And... Mm. um if I knew this is where I was going to end up, you know, I feel like I could could have been or could be more, more further along than where I am. But, hey, everything worked out for a reason and a purpose, you know, and um, what I've been through in order to get to where I am now, you know, I do realize that um, it all happened for a purpose, you know, and I'm grateful, you know, that it all happened and how it happened, too. You know, like I, as far as how it happened, you know, like I said, I wouldn't change a thing on that, but I probably, like I said, just on how I would have approached certain things is what I would have changed. I love, I love the fact that you think you, sh you could have been further along 
Uh, which just, <laughs> yeah, talk about setting yourself some expectations. Well, like, I that, yeah, world I record holder and gold. Oh, I, wish, I, wish, I wish I was doing better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mean, like getting, those, getting that attracted. Yeah, some people have been in tracks since they were, you know, youth. You know, like yeah. eight years old, six years old. You know, of course, I started when I was 12, 11. If I would have, um, I feel like if I could have had a better training, you yeah. know, or even just uh, better awareness on just, like, what is running, you know, different techniques, yeah. um, different. Uh, if I would have known the technique of sprinting, you know, I feel I would have been a lot better at making those connections. Because, like I said, I came here in 2012 at square zero. You know, I didn't know high knees. I didn't know, you know, the science behind sprinting. You know, the mechanics that goes in everything. The drills, you know, the core that's involved. You know, how to activate certain muscles. I didn't know any of that. And I feel like, like I said, if I known back then when I was uh, coming up and just starting to develop into a sprinter or into an athlete, you know, I would have um, been further along than what I am now. Because add the work ethics on top of that as far as and the mindset, you know, just the way that I am, my personality, I... And like I said, just able to throw myself, dive into that. I feel that's one reason why I didn't um, attack track as much as I did, because I didn't understand it. You know, uh, the sport of goalball and even wrestling was two sports. Like I said, not only was I excelling in, I understood it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and um, so I threw myself into those. If I would have understood track more, then I would have dove into that a lot more. I think it's, I think that works. I think that works quite well, especially when you're talking to all, all those, or you're competing against all those people who've been training since they were like children. You you could be more like, well, you know, I've only been doing this a couple of years, and you know, I didn't. I, obviously, I didn't need as much practice as you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you just make me sound like I'm better than you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be using that more. I'd be using that more definitely. <laughs> And what what do you think you can top out on top speed for a hundred? No idea. Um, it's all based off of how fast can I find a guide? You know, because <laughs> Jerome, faster, speed up, Jerome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Get your I'm marching like, orders. The faster, the faster I go, the faster my guide has to go. So of course, if I continue to get faster, then uh, eventually I'm going to need a new guide. Then of course, like now we're getting into Olympic speeds here. Yeah. So it's kind of like, all right, um, at these levels, you know, it's very hard to find a guide because you got guys who are focusing on, yeah. well, the Olympics. You Absolutely, know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Not that I guide running. I mean, I keep having people say, we need to bring Usain Bolt back out of, you know, uh, <laughs> retirement. And I'm like, well, since he's in retirement, I guess there's more of a chance. But back when he was competing, <laughs> you can say, heck no. You know what I'm saying? Maybe not now either because he had the kid coming. But still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you need you need him to have properly you know, focus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, of course, it's all based off of um, not even just how fast I can go, but how fast like is my guide? Yeah. You know, how much room do I have there to be able to develop my speed? 
because some athletes can even top out just because of, you know, their guide not being fast enough, you know, and um, that's sad in itself. And, um, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, we were going to well, be cheering you. We're going to be cheering you on massively at the next Paralympics. So can't wait. I've never actually cheered for someone in in the Paralympics before. I've actually had a personal relationship with them, so I'm crazy excited. But um, oh, really? <laughs> if if people would like to to follow you and to um to track your progress, what's the best the best handles, the best places for them to do that? Well, I am a tweeter. I tweet on Twitter, but, you know, I will admit I'm not that active on social media. Um, but every once in a while, you can catch something from me on Twitter. I'm D-R-B-D as in David R, my middle name, B Brown, 1019. And then um, on Instagram, I don't post as much either because, like I just said, I'm not that active on social media. Um, I am David R. Brown. And then... Of course, on Facebook, you can find me under David Brown, U.S. Paralympic Athlete. So those are my three things. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, if you make it back to London again, let me know because I'd love to be a tour guide. And uh, good luck next year. <laughs> good, luck with, good luck with yeah. the drugs test. Good luck with the drugs <laughs> test. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I'm clean. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully we've bought you a little bit of time. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers, David. All the best. Cheers. Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, he was good. What a great guy. Yeah. That was so interesting. It was was great um, for many reasons. But I think what absolutely topped it off is uh, drug testing turning up. I mean, that is, <laughs> that is, I mean, that is amazing. What are the odds? Because often people test it really once a year. And so to get it within that hour, yeah. You put two and two together, go, why, why is it? When I mean, people are interviewed by Bad Boy Running, all of a sudden drug testers turn up at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we tipped them off, David. We're sorry. We tipped them off where you'd be. <laughs> oh, no, I think that was, I, I think, that, I mean, that was really insightful um, in terms of thinking about the difference between, because I, I, I mean, I, you know, I don't personally know, but I have heard that the sort of, the UK is really far ahead in, in, in terms of um, Paralympic sport and mm. uh, professionalising the sport, different sports uh, than, than, you know, so many other countries. And really, like London kind of really lifted lifted that whole, um, as, as you said, as a spectator sport rather than mm. um, something that just individuals compete in. Uh, and I think that's it. And I think USA are quite, quite a way behind that uh, in terms of that as well. Um, well I- What's probably what I think part of it might be because it, it obviously a lot of it's societal, but it's we we like to see winners, and in America they win everything, and so <laughs> they're not that excited about oh some more, some other people I winning. Don't, stuff. I don't I don't know I I think it might have more to do with I think uh, uh, state support. I think it might have a more, that too as well. I, I think you know there is a um uh, a much more. Uh, nurturing environment i think in, mm. in the uk 
um you know because it's kind of come you know the, the sort of the paralympic it's, it's the home of, of of the paralympics as well um and so i, I think i think that's the that's the kind of thing behind it but i'd be interested I, I that's the thing I, this is only kind of like what i hear and what what you hear yeah. from me i'd love to hear uh, you know whether that is actually justified or true uh, from, mm. from a uk perspective because um i think you know you're absolutely you're absolutely right um you know is, is, is that actually true um but it's amazing that he he wasn't aware that actually the 20, 2016 Olympics, the Paralympics, wasn't happening. They yeah, had run I know, out. I know that was that was I, I completely forgot about that because um, mm. there was talk about that. There's always it, that happens quite often though, doesn't it? It always happens where there's always a funding issue when they mm. award the Olympics to to uh, uh, to a country other than, say, Europe or the US. There's mm. always some funding issue, which is inevitable. Everything's always behind schedule, and then there's always the threat that the Paralympics are going to mm. be cut as a result of that. It, it kind of is, it's, it's a cycle that seems to happen all the time. You think that it, it was kind of be protected um, in in some respects. But, yeah, I mean, the fact that you know, that didn't know about it, that, that just sort of a good yeah i suppose in terms of 100 percent. but yeah i just i like the whole thing's fascinating like about you know the the question the question i should have asked as soon as we got off the call i should have asked this was the that competition that um u.s paralympics um mm. had for, for 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 those kids to to go and you know watch it how many of those kids that went on that trip with him in the first second phase actually went on to do something in the olympics I wonder, yeah. I, I, you know, because that—that's the intention for it, isn't it? Is the intention is to is to, to provide role models, but also, yeah. you know, is the intention to actually think like okay, these children do it? Because I mean, he pretty much changed his his discipline on the basis of <laughs> going to the Olympics and watching someone else do something and thinking, yeah, I can do that quicker. Yeah, I know, crazy, right? And uh, I love the fact he's, he just went there and went, well, I want I want bigger adulation. This is the place to be. <laughs> <laughs> No one's watching the wrestling. Come yeah, on, exactly. where my that's it. Yeah. Where yeah. My I a, oh yeah, yeah. I want a stadium. I just want a stadium. That's <laughs> <I want. laughs> but that's what yeah. you're gonna have. That's what you're gonna have. And he's absolutely right as well. That you know, it, it just things that you don't think about because yeah, you, 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 it, it's difficult to empathise with people in, in 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 different situations. But yeah, like someone seeing you for your achievement rather than. Um, mm saying oh it's so so well done well done for doing that when you're blind really well mm. done you know keep the dream keep the dream alive like that is so patronizing i'm yeah. going to start using that with other people now keep the dream alive. <laughs> i'm going to diet keep the it's dream almost, alive it's, it's such it's such a like a burn isn't it it's such a like a, it's like saying goes yes um he's run a lot of races it's like the, the, the i applaud your spirit the mo uh, yeah yeah <laughs> that's it it's exactly rather than your achievement yeah oh well yeah well done you you've oh, you've really made huge progress so far <laughs> well i i honestly can't wait to to, to the next paralympics now because it's going to be so exciting to see him isn't it on the start line i love the fact that they're sponsored as a like as a, as a partnership mm. that's just mm. so great and the fact that he might have to if he gets any quicker he might have to find a like a, a someone who is a a full able uh we keep saying able sighted what's the what's the proper term it's a sighted yeah for, well sighted yes <laughs> Jesus Christ. um a sighted a, a sighted uh, olympic sprinter mm. to be able to do that 
and the challenge that comes with that. But I do love the idea that the, you know, they, they get sponsored together as like a team. Mm. That is great. Yeah, that and because that was my worry that because that could potentially have been a real issue where oh, suddenly the profile of someone gets it gets larger, and it might be that the the guide can't afford to do certain things, and suddenly you know could cause rifts between them. So that's great that they and fair play to Toyota and Comcast that they've they've taken them on as a pair. You know they've realised that because a lot of companies would go the cheap way and just just want to get the kudos. But, and the PR without having to spend double. Yeah, he looks a character though, Joe. I mean, like yeah. the thing is, you know, if you <laughs> if you haven't watched this strip, like he's it, not only is he a guide runner, he's almost like a uh, a one man. He's a hype guy. He's, he's a, hype a hype guy, guy isn't he? he? Is. Yeah, like, yeah. He's getting everyone, getting the crowd oh, going. I forgot to ask because yeah, it, um, that's what happened in the the last in the Paralympics. He was there and he was going like, come on, the crowd to everyone. And then um, I'm not sure if, if David would have been aware of that because he'd have been focusing and Joe's like, come on, people, getting everyone. Yeah, he just seems like such a good lad. Yeah. Well, it's been quite a long episode. So w- even though I'd like to discuss this for hours and hours and hours, um, we won't, we'll, you've had the good bit. You've had David. Uh, you don't want more of us. So we can leave it there. But um, which, uh, what are other episodes we could recommend uh, respect to elizabeth Colgan. ronda ronda marie oh. that seems like the obvious one so you're talking about a um how much well, she got eight percent eight percent vision yeah eight percent vision and run some of you know barclay marathons um vault states you know unsupported you know yeah. all the challenges that she has running with a guide runner and without a guide runner as well which yeah I think hugely inspirational uh, a couple of episodes from ronda marie yeah, uh, there's a couple of other Olympians we've had on, like maybe more, that I, but two that I remember. One is Elizabeth Colgan, who was world champion and also London Marathon winner, New York Marathon winner, amazing runner, 10,000 champion. Um, and also Andrew Steele, who... I was going to say, yeah, have we had, have we, had, we haven't had a sprinter on before, have we? I no. I think the closest to that in terms of, but that's 400 metres endurance, isn't it, um, from a yeah. track perspective. So actual full-out sprinting, I think that's the... That is, that, is that the first we've had? Definitely the first is, printer. Yeah. yeah. And Andrew, the, the interesting story about Andrew, if you haven't heard it, is that he he lost a second in the Olympics, going into the Olympics because they changed his training, assuming that he was more of a sprinter than a long-distance 400-meter runner. Yeah. And it was only after three years having lost that second, he was he, he got a bronze. Um, and, yeah, it's his whole story of, of how that made him realize that actually our, our DNA is quite important for us to understand what our gem- genetic response is to certain training um, and, and how that really changed the course of his career. So, um, yeah, some really good episodes to listen to. Um, but if you enjoyed this one, please do review and subscribe. It helps us reach out to people such as David and prove to them that we're not just a pair of idiots and, and we are working. <laughs> oh, trick, them. trick them into thinking trick we're not trick them into thinking we're not a pair of idiots. That's the key. Indeed, indeed. Um get in the Facebook group if you'd like to um get involved in the conversations going on or if there's future guests you'd like us to 
interview my email is david at badboyrunning.com or you can tag me into a post in the group um anything yeah. you want to bring up jd no no i just think in terms of you know in terms of um uh, future guests you know we we always get recommended people that have done fkts or people have done that but you know we're looking for you know really interesting stories and it can be about any doesn't some of the time it doesn't even have to be about running you know it can be just endurance feats because we have all sorts of um uh, stories on here and really we just really want to focus on uh, like on interesting stories or, or different perspectives as well so mm. you know if you've got any ideas about that if you know people that are doing stuff that that is different from um uh, from something that we've covered before we'd absolutely love to hear that yeah absolutely so um thanks for listening guys we'll be back next week as ever until then no till then whatever <laughs> you'll, you'll be you'll, you'll be all right yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't, you know. Take it easy maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but a bye 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 bye. But a bye 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 bye. Fuck you, buddy.